I think in a disaster situation, there's a strong emotional response, which can spur giving. And we empower our donors to take action. And the Donor Advice Fund means you have a ready reserve available to react and to give immediately. In the aftermath of natural disasters happening at home and abroad, today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Elaine Martin from Fidelity Charitable explains all the ways a donor-advised fund is a tax-efficient strategy for high-impact giving, where and when it's needed the most. Also, Joe and Big Al have the info you need to protect yourself from identity theft in light of the Equifax security breach. And on a lighter note, we've got financial tips for the five stages of your relationship, the best cities to celebrate Oktoberfest outside of Munich, soap opera estate planning, Joe and Al's beer tastes, and biker fashion. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Hey, Alan, Equifax reported major breach. Well, they did. 143 million consumers uh, potentially have their uh, personal information. Names, social security, birth dates, home addresses, driver's license numbers. I checked. They have a site where you can check to see are you potentially one of the ones. Oh, really? And I checked it and said you may have been compromised. Really? Yes. Have you ever been compromised? Yes, but not in a, not in the ways that you have. I mean, I've had p- uh, people that get your credit card and try to charge stuff, and yeah. then you, they close the credit card, and the bank refunds the charge. Uh, Western Union one time, I had a $3,000 charge on that because I used to pay my landlord on Western Union in Las Vegas, and but they reversed that. So that's that's been the extent of my my identity theft. Yeah. I know you've had some doozies. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. Right out of college, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I went to the bank, opened up an account. And um, I lived in low-income housing because I couldn't afford anything else. Yeah, right out. Yeah. (laughs) Right. First first place. First place. Yeah. And um, And now you're you're in a palace. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right on. I was on Peach Street Avenue, right across the street from the Darlington. uh, Or no, the Darlington was the name of the building. It was right across the street from the Piedmont Hospital. Okay. And um, So if you got got shot, you could go right. Yes, you just go across the street. Get all repaired up. Exactly. And so, yeah, um, got checkbooks, debit card, ready to go. But they sent my checks to the wrong address. Oh, okay. In the same building. Okay. So someone else got your checks. Yeah. And then, like, back in the day, remember, I feel really old, but you would put your, like, driver's license number on your checks. Yeah. And then your your telephone number on your checks. (laughs) And so so they um, sent it to the wrong address, and this um, person called me. It was like, hey, we got your checks. And the message I thought was like, all right, well, they, the very nice person, they have my checks. They were going to probably just, you know, Forward it to me. Right. Now, they ended up writing checks all over Georgia. You're kidding. Tennessee. And um, I had no idea that that was really going on um, until like maybe two months later, right? Because I didn't, I, I, I was broke. I didn't have any money, you know? And all right. of a sudden I started getting all these letters from the bank. And then I would go in, and then oh my gosh, it was a, it, I, it, I had to deal with that for like probably ten years. Ten. Yeah. So I closed the account, right? Right. And um, but Joe Anderson, my parents were so. That's <laughs> <was> very original. <laughs> original name, right? Right. So they were able to um, forge like a driver's license with my name on it. Really. And um, so yeah, they would go to Kroger and Albertsons and all sorts of grocery stores. They would always be grocery stores. Okay. 
$200, and Did you get reimbursed for that? I, the no, charges? I closed the account. You, they were just bouncing checks. Oh, they were... St- okay, got it. With my... Yeah. yeah, right? But the original checks, did you get reimbursed for that, or did you lose money? I don't... Yeah, I think... I only had probably 50 bucks in the checking account <laughs> yeah, was, anyway, so I probably thought I spent it at they, the bar. <laughs> they were thinking, oh, Joe Anderson checks. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, so then I had to... Um, Ref, uh, yeah, that I had to go to a credit, um, you know, clean. Uh, I think it was called Credit Clean. And really, yeah, I spent probably five thousand bucks just trying to clean it up off all my different reports and everything else because of all these bounced checks and all yeah, these yeah. terrible things yeah. that you, you supposedly did. Exactly. Right. So, wow. So you have uh, empathy. Yeah. And sympathy. Yeah. And then, yeah, my childhood friend stole my identity and with his fifth DUI. And yes, I remember <laughs> hearing about that one. Yeah, that was a good time. Time too, <laughs> but look, here, here, a couple of quick uh, notes for people to do here. Um, here's, here's some tips if you're worried about this. Um, order a free credit report. So there's annualcreditreport.com. Um, you can get them all at one place. That's annualcreditreport.com, um, and you should do this annually anyway. Uh, that would go with Equifax, uh, TransUnion, um, Experian. So they will just get all of those different. Um, Credit reports. You could freeze your credit. Have you ever done that, Al? I haven't, but I'm thinking about doing it right now. So this may be the most effective way. I've never froze my credit. Um, I'm purchasing a a home for my mother, so I can't really can't do it yet. Freeze my right. my, my credit. Yes, um, but that that's probably. I mean, then you're done. It's 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 frozen. Yeah. Then then people cannot use your name and identity to open credit, to open a credit card or anything like that. Have you ever used LifeLock? Anything yes, like that? I have LifeLock. Oh, you do? Yes. So you can look at. Um, I, I I go to Credit Karma. It's free. Okay, um, but I, I checked that out. Yeah, once mine's nine ninety nine a month. Both both Ann and I have that, so we we both think that's important enough to do. Didn't the CEO of LifeLock put his like social security on like billboards, and then someone hacked him? That that I don't know. <laughs> maybe, Not, nothing surprises maybe me. That, anymore. Was that just a, a myth? <laughs> so a few different things that that you can do. Um, you know, cyber. Attacks are on the rise. I mean, we read, you know, we get all these crazy emails when it comes to, you know, transferring money and, you know, like senior fraud about, oh, hey, you know, you won the lottery. All you got to do is, you know, send me a check for right. whatever, <laughs> and I will send you your winnings. Right, right. Um, and we need all your personal information and your bank account so yeah, we can yeah, yeah, forward yes, the money it, to exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah, I got a couple more. You can uh, you can get a credit report, uh, one free one each year, from Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. So you, you should take advantage of that. And then Equifax actually has uh, an offer for credit monitoring. I think it's for a year. It's called Trust ID. You can actually go to their website, and uh, first of all, you see if you're um, if if you're potentially compromised, and then if you are, they let you sign up for this. And so that's what I found out. I found out that I'm, I guess, part of the 143 million. And then it, then there's a button. Would you like this free credit monitoring? Which I actually already have credit monitoring, but anyway, why not? And that was, I think, on Tuesday. Maybe Wednesday, but I think Tuesday. Uh, and as of Friday, close of business, I still hadn't got the email back from them with instructions. And they did say there's quite a huge demand. It may take a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, trusted ID. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called uh, trust, 
tr um, yeah, Trusted ID. That's their service uh, that uh, you can go to. You actually go to Equifax Security 2017.com and then you type, then you hit the button that says potential impact. Equifax Security 2017.com. That will tell you if you're one of the 143. Yeah, you hit the potential impact. The problem with that, though, is you have to give them your name and social security number, <laughs> which probably compounds the problem. I took a chance. I went ahead and did it and it said, uh, you may be one of the ones. So I guess I'm on that list. Oh, man. Gosh, the world we live in, Cole Pine. It's getting more complicated, right? It is getting a little bit more complicated, you know? And they talk about, um, you know, the computers are going to run the world someday. Right. Yeah, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Get ready. But I think, you know, with stuff like this, people are so afraid to kind of, you know, put their stuff on the Internet because right. of, you know, things like these breaches happen. Yeah, yeah. Versus, you know, just going down to the... You know, local bank and seeing the banker face to face. Right. Yeah. You know, another thing, Joe, is these credit freezes. They're not free. Uh, it depends upon the agency, but there's fees to put the freeze on, and there's fees to undo the freeze, and that could be, in some cases, up to ten dollars per incident. So um, just realize that you can do those online, but they're recommending that you call it in, so that there's so, so your social security is not going right. over online. Right. 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 Yeah. Although, like I said, I, I already did that because I, that's what was required on the Equifax thing to see if I was compromised. <laughs> I guess once you give me your Social Security number, you are compromised. <laughs> yes, right. Identity theft is one of America's fastest growing crimes, creating a victim every two seconds, according to Javelin Strategy and Research's 2014 Identity Fraud Study. Your Money, Your Wealth teamed up with the Identity Theft Resource Center to teach you how you can protect yourself from becoming another statistic. Visit the webinars section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to watch the Identity Theft webinar. You'll learn how identity theft happens, where criminals can get information about you, what you can do to protect yourself, and steps to take if you become a victim. The Identity Theft webinar is available for you to watch free on demand. Just visit the webinar section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Alan, it's that time of the show. It is. We've got a guest. We do. It's a very timely guest. Yes. With all the craziness that we've experienced here in the last couple of weeks with the weather in Houston. A couple of hurricanes. A couple of hurricanes. Irma. And so we have Elaine Martin. She's the Vice President, Relationship Management of the Private Donor Group at Fidelity Charitable. Want to welcome Elaine to the show. Elaine, are you there? I am. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to talk charitable giving, planning, donor advised funds, and disasters. Well, I think donor advised funds are becoming to be a, a hot topic um, down in Southern California, but across the nation. And so um, I'm really looking forward to sharing what we're doing with you. Hey, well, let's talk first. Um, tell our audience a little bit more about Fidelity Charitable. Um, you know, what's your role there? What do you do? And, um, you know, what, what, what are some of the functions that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, are the oldest donor, national donor advice fund in America, and that means that we are um, working with donors across the U.S. to help them do more tax-efficient, high-impact grant-making. And um, what a donor advised fund is, it's a, it's a really simple and effective platform to both give, grow, and grant. Um, and by that, I mean you can give 
charitable asset or any asset into your charitable giving account. And um, then your account then grows its income through a variety of pooled funds that we offer, um, or you can work with a financial planner to grow that income. And then we help you actually execute those grants to over 200,000 nonprofits um, here in the U.S. and abroad. And so I actually work with uh, donor families around the country who are really interested in in doing highly effective grant making. And um, last year alone, we gave out about $3.5 billion in grants to um, nonprofit uh, charitable organizations in the U.S. All right. So, you know, in real simple terms, right? So because we use donor advised funds with our clients quite a bit as a tax strategy if they're already, you know, giving to certain charities. And a donor advised fund is that instead of giving directly to the chair, let's say if I'm giving $10,000 a year to a, a certain organization, um, what a donor advice could uh, fund do is maybe accelerate that tax deduction, if you will. And maybe they say, well, I'll put $100,000 in the donor advice fund because I know I'm going to be giving $10,000 a year, but maybe I need a big tax deduction this year. So I put... T- $100,000 in the donor advice fund, I get that tax deduction in the year that I contribute to the fund. And then from there, I can distribute those dollars as I see fit to whatever charitable organization um, that I have some passion around. Is, is that a fair explanation? That's exactly right. It's about leverage. You get to give a single deduct, a single gift and get a tax deduction at that time, and then give at the pace you want to the organizations that you most care about, and you don't have to give it all in one lump sum to one organization. You can really think uh, thoughtfully and work with your nonprofit partners to figure out um, how you want to do your grant making for the year and beyond. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a little like a private foundation, except you don't have to set up a nonprofit entity to do that. It's, it's much simpler. You're just setting up an account, right? That's exactly right. I love I love describing it as um, a private foundation for everyone, and and we really make it easy to. I actually manage a team of relationship managers who can serve as your almost like your program officer of your foundation, who will work with you to identify what your giving goals are, what your strategy might be, and then help you figure out how to actually work with those nonprofits directly um, to make it as simple for you as possible. Well, let's talk about the the current hurricanes and and what's going on in Houston and and Texas and what's uh, Fidelity Charitable doing and and seeing uh, at this point. You know, this storm that we've seen, both Hurricane Harvey and Irma, have been the most powerful storms to hit the Gulf Coast in um, decades. And it has been extraordinary just to see the huge outpouring of response that we've had from our donors. Um, you know, we have a disaster response team that I'm a part of here at Fidelity Charitable because we know that our donors are keen to um, give when uh, a disaster strikes and that the donor advised fund actually 29% of our donors set aside funds for um, disaster relief and they give right away, um, often within 24 hours of um, a hurricane happening. And to date, we've seen over $24 million go out to disaster response for hurricanes Harvey and Irma, which is extraordinary. And $7 million of that was delivered directly to the charities within the first 24 hours of Harvey hitting, uh, making landfall. So our donors were responding right away to um, the guidance that we presented with, to them, and they were responding you know, with their hearts full and um, opening their um, wallets to be able to really make the impact for the families who need it most. 
I got a question for you. So let's say I've I contributed to my donor advice fund, and right the hurricane hits, and I was like, okay, well here I want to start giving you know some of the money that I have set aside in this donor advice fund to uh, the victims in Houston. So do can I pick my own charity because there's a lot of fraud out there, or do you do you guys help me then to determine what is the best um, organizations for my money to go to if I have certain passions? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually um, make recommendations on our website and that we share with our donor community and which are um, open to the public um, for national organizations that are ready to respond, which have a track record of responding to disasters. Um, organizations like Save the Children, who are working already on the ground in both um, Florida and, and um, Texas and Louisiana. Um, to make sure there are safe spaces for children. So you can give to organizations you already have an affiliation with, and we see many of our donors doing that. You can give to, you know, what you see are, um, you know, for example, many donors already have a commitment to animal welfare. And so they want to give in alignment with that, and so that we help them identify programs that are around animal welfare in times of crisis. Um, but we also have the immediate needs like food, water, and shelter, which are our primary needs in stage one of a crisis, and that's what we are um, where our recommendations lie. And then we update those, that guidance um, as the crisis progresses and as long-term planning goes into effect. We make recommendations around other organizations that might be more locally based um, and working at a at a community level to respond to longer-term needs. If if I know of an organization that I want to give to, um, is there like an approved list that that you have to vet, or could I give it to any organization th- that I see fit? If it's a five hundred one c three organization, um, IRS qualified organization, um, you absolutely can give to it through us. We do review all those um, all the recommendations to make sure that they are doing um, response. If you designate it for um, hurricane relief, we'll make we'll make sure that it is actually going to that in, um, to the program that you're recommending. Um, and and so that's absolutely fine. And we see many donors doing that. You know, in the first few days after um, the crisis, we saw a lot of giving to the Greater Houston Community Foundation, for example. Um, and that we hadn't yet recommended because we were waiting for confirmation on the fund that they were setting up. But that was an organization that many of our donors knew about and wanted to give to right away. And we absolutely supported that. Hey, thinking about disasters, uh, Elaine, uh, domestically versus internationally, it seems like a, a lot of people have a lot of causes internationally, but uh, but certainly there's things going on in the United States. Is is that changing in terms of, of where people are giving, or, or what are the current trends? Yeah, you know, international giving has been on the rise for the last few years, and um, we've actually seen a probably a 4 or 5% increase in grants going out to international causes over the last year or two. Um, and all our donors really do a great job in responding to um, international crises like the Nepal earthquake or um, the floods in India. Um, I think what we're seeing right now with Hurricane Irma is that we see an equivalent, we see a huge response around Harvey and what's happening in Texas, um, because that was the, the longer-term crisis that we knew about for the last couple of weeks. But we've had a ton of requests coming in from um, 
the Caribbean islands and donors interested in giving to those um, more international causes, and we are working with organizations like UNICEF to support grant-making um, internationally. So I think the the increasing trends around international giving, and the world is becoming smaller. So we saw the Mexican earthquake happen. Um, we saw the uh, monsoons um, in Asia and, and our own hurricanes happening all simultaneously, and we saw giving to all three of those things um, consistently by our donors. Visit Your Money, Your Wealth and Pure Financial Advisors on YouTube for educational video clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, including a full show on tax-smart charitable giving. There are literally hundreds of videos to get you up to speed on just about every money topic that affects you. Watch the latest on surviving retirement without a pension, asset location, saving for college, understanding Medicare, estate planning, banking on your house as an income stream in retirement, and much more. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your money, your wealth, and start binge watching with purpose. Check back regularly. We're always adding new videos. Welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. We're talking to Elaine Martin. She's over at Fidelity Charitable. Um, The website again is www.fidelitycharitable.org. Hey, let me ask you, you mentioned grant making. And so what, what, what does that mean? Or how does that relate to a donor advice fund? Oh, so, you know, when you make a recommendation of a gift to a nonprofit, we, we call that a grant. We call that, and I consider that grant making. So you don't have to be a big foundation to do, um, to make a contribution out of your giving account. This is, this is really just the recommendation of a gift from your donor advised fund out to the nonprofit that you want. And, and so for folks that have donor advised funds, it's, uh, are most of those, those, those suggested grants coming from the account holder, or are you guys in many cases recommending the, the, the charities yourself? Oh, well, we, may, we provide guidance on our website that the donors are really doing their own due diligence as well and making their recommendations um, beyond that. So, you know, in, in the first week of the um, response to Hurricane Harvey, we saw grants going out to many local organizations that um, Texas donors knew about, and then we saw um, large grant making to the, our guidance as well. So I think it's both. What is your website? Oh, it's fidelitycharitable.org, um, .org, and uh, yeah, we would love to have any, that's where you can look for guidance around both giving to hurricane response, but we also have strategic guidance around how to think about your giving. We have a great program called Boost Your Giving IQ, which gives um, guidance around how to think about creating a mission statement. What are your values and what early experiences might help inform how you think about how you want to give um, in response with your donor advice fund to improving the world? You know, I think that's great because I think there's a lot of people that you know, are charitably inclined, but they they really don't know where to start. They don't know what, I mean, they, they might have passions for something that, that they don't know even where to go to give to. Um, and they might start their own Google search. And then next thing you know, they, they might um, find what they think is a, a legit organization. But uh, you probably know this w- way more than Al or I, but th- there's a lot of fraudulent, um, you know, individuals that take advantage of people, and, and especially in time of crisis. Uh, how do people protect themselves? Yeah, we recommend partnering with organizations like GuideStar and Charity Navigator, which are both 
organizations that review nonprofits and give them ratings around their around how they um, assess the effectiveness of those nonprofits and whether or not they are truly um, IRS qualified charities. And so we would recommend partnering with them. There's also the Better Business Bureau, which of course can tell you whether or not an organization is legitimate. Um, and I never underestimate the power of um, community and talking to others about what their experiences have been about a nonprofit that you've heard about or spoken to and, and looking through the website of a nonprofit and making sure that they really are doing what they're saying they're doing. Is it, uh, would, is it advantageous to have a donor advice fund when it comes to giving in a disaster situation or is it just as good just to give directly? I think in a disaster situation, you there's a strong emotional response which can spur giving and we empower our donors to take action and the donor advice fund means you have a ready reserve available to react and to give you know immediately when the crisis hits and that's oftentimes you have that gut instinct you see something and you you want to respond the donor advice fund means you don't have to think about you have to just go on to our website or you know call your relationship manager and um and say i want to recommend a grant and and make it happen and i think that it's a really wonderful way because we do vet the charities um, we make sure they're accepting funds for the relief efforts and we deliver those grants electronically daily so that, you know, a lot of organizations, if you're trying to do it yourself, you might be giving and it might be you want to check. In Houston, for example, so the roads were closed. So a lot of those organizations couldn't receive checks because the post offices were closed. We want to be able to um, enable grants to hit the ground running and um, so that the nonprofits doing the great work can respond right away. You know, a couple of thoughts that I have is that if I'm going to be giving to a certain organization that I'm maybe not be familiar with, how do I know where, you know, how the capital is being utilized? You know, what what are they actually doing with the money? I think we um, we recommend working, you know, with those charities directly, asking them, how are you planning on responding to the relief efforts? You know, what are their processes around accounting and asking them, you know, what fiduciary oversight do you have for larger than normal contributions? Um, And I think working closely with those nonprofits is one way. Um, Another way is actually working through us, as I said, through organizations like GuideStar to see what their um, ratios of spending are around and how experienced they are in these kinds of um, situations. And that goes not just for disaster, but for any um, kind of response that you might be looking to do. If you want to give around health issues or if you want to give around um, the arts, you can do the same thing. We're talking to Elaine Martin. She's Vice President Relationship Management for the Private Donor Group at Fidelity Charitable. A couple of last questions here for you, Elaine. Is that, all right, well, I don't have a ton of money, but I want is there like a minimum if if I'd like to give to several different charities, maybe 200 here, 500 here, 100 here? Or is this really geared towards someone that is giving thousands, um, you know, to certain organizations? You know, I think that's the power and the beauty of Fidelity Charitable. To open a donor advice fund, you can start that account with um, $5,000. So you can make a $5,000 gift um, and then distribute that in increments of $50, $100 to the organizations you care about most. Um, and, of course, you can give larger gifts. Uh, but I think it's a really wonderful entry point for starting to give and testing out what you might care about and seeing what the impact can be. 
And so all I have to do is, all right, so I open up an account at uh, Fidelity Charitable. I put in my five ten thousand dollars $10,000, and then I want to give a couple hundred bucks to uh, these certain charities. And is that a website that I go to, or do I call and talk to a representative to s- send that money? Or how, did, how do I distribute the cash to the certain organizations where I want it to go? Yeah, so to open an account, it's three simple steps. It takes about eight minutes. I did it last week for a, um, a new donor of ours. Um, and you can do it online through fidelitycharitable.org. But equally, you can do it through your financial advisor, your CPA or lawyer can work with you. Um, or you can call us and we'll, um, we have a 1-800 number we'd be happy to share. And, um, and you can do it over the phone. And when you want to make the grants, same thing. You can just go on to our website, and um, there's a simple drop-down process, and you can get, make multiple donations, um, recommendations at the time, at the same time, or you can call us, and we will process those over the phone for you. Well, that's great stuff, Elaine. I really appreciate your time. Um, big plans for the weekend. Well, I'm actually going out to San Francisco to uh, support a funders collaborative at Stanford University, which um, we'll be looking at how we continue to support our donors in high-impact philanthropy um, in collaboration with other funders who are looking at the same issues, and so we're looking forward to that. Really? Well, I'm going to sit on my couch and drink beer and watch the Florida Gator football. Man, you are just all over she's, the place, Elaine. She's way more I mean, I, than you, us. Yes, totally. I'm just trying to lighten the thing up here. <laughs> You, you ask. Uh, I know. I am a, a massive Patriots fan, so I don't know how that uh, plays out in Southern Cal, but I'm looking forward to watching the, um, the team play as well. Yes, as you're feeding the homeless. Yeah. And, um, Cle- and came, came up with the new ideas to help everybody. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's Elaine Martin, folks. Well, probably one of the nicest, one of, <laughs> most wonderful person in the world. All right, we got to dig a break. Uh, she'll called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in a second. To learn how you can make tax-efficient charitable donations that go further, faster, through a donor-advised fund, call Your Money, Your Wealth at 888-99-GOALS. That's 888-994-6257. Or email info at purefinancial.com. Get the tools for intelligent giving. Support any charity. Grow your gifts tax-free. Support all your favorite charities with a single donation and get one tax receipt. Learn more about donor-advised funds. Call Your Money, Your Wealth at 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, financial tips for the five stages of your relationship. This is a little different list, Joe, but this will be sort of maybe helpful for you. All right. Okay. Because uh, TD Ameritrade, so we're just talking to Fidelity. So now, equal opportunity for custodians. Got to keep it going. (laughs) TD Bank did a survey, uh, and uh, and which is harder to do: achieve financial success or find true love? Oh God, I knew something (laughs) like this was coming. So here's the article: the best financial tips for the five stages of your relationship. Okay. Okay. I think you need this because this is if you're newly dating. All right. Right? Which is, that's kind of your perpetual status, right? <laughs> that's all it is, ever. 
<laughs> so let me give you newly some, dating or breaking up. Newly let, dating, let me, breaking up. Let me give you some newly tips. dating. Oh, breaking up. Because maybe we can get you to stage two. Okay. By following these simple tips about money. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> getting to know someone uh, new, special, is an exciting time. Would you agree? Oh, very exciting. Okay. It can be also be nerve wracking. Ooh, super nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> so here's uh, the tip number one: avoid TMI. Too much information, particularly yeah. when it, when it, when you're talking about money. So the first several dates is too soon to have serious conversations about money. First date, you can't say, "Hey, what's what, in your what bank you account? <laughs> what, what's How many kids do you want? <laughs> <laughs> do you have any um, diseases that I should be aware of? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's your FICO score? <laughs> yeah, you got to be a little bit more careful. Uh, you you might want to wait a few dates to where you get into that, and and even even after that show, you don't want to ask those questions directly. You want to just break the ice by asking about their job, where they live, what they do for fun, how they vacation, because then you can get a sense of how they spend. Oh, so you profile them. You profile. Got it. Carefully. Yeah. When's the last vacation you went on? Yeah. Where'd you go? Santee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Break up. <laughs> Well, maybe that's good because they don't spend a lot. Oh, I suppose, yeah. See, <laughs> they, they went to Paris. Yeah. Where'd you stay? I don't know. It was a thousand dollar night hotel. <laughs> oh, okay. Check out their purses and their outfits, and yeah. So you can get some. You don't. You don't have to ask it directly, right? All right. Okay. So that's. Um, that's how to. Maybe that'll help you advance. So that's the step one. Yeah, that's step one. Five step process here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Step two. That uh, I know you've you've been in this situation before. You're in a long-term relationship. All right. All right. So what's uh, long-term? Three months? Doesn't say, but whatever <laughs> it feels like for you. It's a couple days. <laughs> More than one day. <laughs> once you uh, once you begin talking about money, do it regularly. Cup, do you know this? Couples who discuss money on at least a weekly basis report being happy in their relationship, according to this survey. What do you? I I don't. What do you? How do you talk about money? It's like, hey, what'd you spend this week? <laughs> <laughs> how was your week, honey? Pretty good. All right. Well, how much money did you spend? Yeah. Well, let me give you the tip. Okay. Talk about difficult issues because among those surveyed, thirty-six percent reported having an argument about money at least once a month, and that's because they weren't talking about it. Well, like you spent this on what? <laughs> <laughs> that golf course cost how much? Yeah. So observe actions as much as words. Look at nonverbal clues. But if you're uh, just dating, right? They, so they, all right, I'm dating someone. Are they wearing? Are they wearing a new outfit? Right. Are yeah. They, what? Yeah. You're on a date. They should look good. <laughs> <laughs> if they're wearing sweats and a t-shirt, that's, yeah. they're done. Yeah. They suggest that you look at how they tip. And here's why: not because they're spending more money. It's just that the the way um, uh, pay attention to your partner's generosity, responsibility, and respect for money. Because the way your partner treats money has a lot to do with the way he or she treats people. Oh. So you want high t- good tippers. But I'm the one that's paying. Yeah, so that's going to be tough. So I'm going to be like, hey, can you pay? <laughs> I want to see how much you tip. <laughs> yeah, I want to see how much you tip. <laughs> it feels like four hundred bucks. That's all you're giving? Oh, yep. Break up. <laughs> we, went to, we, we went to the, uh, I don't know, we went to the Black Angus and Santee. <laughs> and I made her pay. 
Oh, I can't believe it. She hasn't. We shouldn't say that. Santee's a great place. I love Santee. It's a wonderful place. Yes, I play golf there. Wonder, Carlton Oaks. Wonder, yeah, me too. I love that course too. Yes. Yeah, I played that once, but it was really good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, now you've never been to this stage because you, you've messed up the first two steps, but once you're engaged. Oh, so this is for future knowledge. Yes, this is this is yeah. many, many <laughs> trial runs here. <laughs> the, the, did you know the average price for an engagement ring was six thousand one hundred sixty-three dollars? Six grand. Six grand. Well, uh, isn't it supposed to be something like six months of your paycheck or something like that? Three months. Oh, you'd have a big one then. Yeah, five grand. <laughs> <laughs> two months. Is so, that that? Did is that what Joe got you? Two months of his paycheck. We're looking at uh, yeah. Our we're producer. looking at our producer's she's, ring right uh, now. She she's, wanna, a, she's a newlywed. She doesn't want to admit what it costs. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't know. <laughs> So, uh, that looks like six grand. Anyway, she's saying a thousand, a hundred thousand so dollars. They're talking about ten grand. The, the ring is many as one of many large expenses you'll need to navigate with your significant other. So, so I would like to know. All right, well, how about if you drop like fifty grand? Is that that would be like too much? Yeah, that would be. Uh, would, she, would, would she freak out? Like, be this is great, or like, wow, what are you doing with the money? Well, because you should have only bought me a two thousand dollar ring because well, we could have put the forty eight thousand dollars for you know future JoJo's. Because in your long term relationship, before you got engaged, you've been talking about money each week, so you would already know that. Oh, see, got that's it. what you missed. Got it. That's the, that's and look for clues. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, the thing you know, planning for a wedding is is it's already stressful. Um, I, I know that because I got married 29 years ago. It was I think it's less stressful for the guy because usually the women like to plan it. There's a lot of details I, I would say, but uh, and it's expensive. So you want to talk about the cost of the wedding and and you know you don't necessarily want to have this just blowout day to the detriment of your whole financial future, right? I guess that's the point. Have those chats. Talk. Have your weekly summit. Right? Yeah. Maybe for Saturday morning in bed when you wake up, <laughs> you have your spreadsheets. <laughs> Here, um, what do yeah, you... well, it's a father of the bride that's got to pay for the wedding, right? Well, that, but that doesn't always happen anymore. So when my sister got married. Yeah. Yeah. My dad sweeped out the garage twice, he said. Yeah. 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 That, that was the party. Stuff. In my gr- oh, in the, the, the garage. Gr- that was the bit. Vi- thought... We call it the Minnesota room. Right. Because every party you have in Minnesota, I guarantee it, it's in a garage. Right. <laughs> right? Have you ever had a party in a garage? Uh, yes. Did so you enjoy they, it? Well, it was like the guy's poker party. I mean, that's... No, every single... Every single... Graduation one. parties, garage. <laughs> no. Right, weddings, garage. I've only, I've only had the one, which was the guy's Confirmations, poker Confirmations, garage. Yeah. Everything yeah. is it's in the not, garage. Not too common here. <laughs> and the reason you do it in the garage when it's a guy's poker party is some guys invariably want to smoke cigars, and oh. the women don't want it inside. See, I have... Like I have a like in my garage here in San Diego. Yeah. I have a couch in you a do. fridge in my garage. So for, you're TV. ready for the. I'm ready for a party. Sweep it out. I'm ready for yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna take my car out, sweep it <laughs> twice, and there we go, baby. Christmas party. Christmas party. Financial. Yeah, if you want to come over to my Christmas party, everyone's kind of going to the front door. No, it's back here in <laughs> like, the garage. The, the door's wide open. We're, here's the party. Right. I, yeah. If anyone's from Minnesota listening, they'll know what yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. All right. What about if you're newly married? Um, here's the tip: is to make the rules together. No matter how you choose to blend your finances, it's important to set financial guidelines to enhance marriage compatibility. Set a dollar limit on what can be spent without needing a discussion or justification. That's actually a good idea. 
right? You can and you can spend twenty-two dollars. Oh Above that, we need to have a summit. <laughs> Bring me your list of wants. Uh, oh, this is awful. Well, I wonder why people get divorced over money because no one wants to talk about this crap. They well, and that's tip number two: avoid surprises to ease stress by having your conversations. Okay, honey, I'm going out tonight with the boys. <laughs> The bar tab is going to be about 400 bucks. Right. What is she going to say? No, you're going. No, that's what she's so going to say. So uh, that, that's why I'm for forgiveness and then versus that's permission. What, that's why people don't stay married. <laughs> Maybe you ought to get approval beforehand. You know what? I'll just uh, I'll just nurse a Coors Light yes, all night long. All night long. What's my budget, honey? $42? Got it. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> so I got to go out drinking or uh, try to find a dollar beer place. But that conflicts with another rule because you're supposed to see if a person is generous. You like to be generous, but sometimes being generous means spending money yeah. on others. It's like, yeah, so, right. So you, that's why you have to have your summit to make sure you're in sync with each other. And then what if you've been married a long time? Um, let's see. Only 12% of the survey respondents, ages 55 and above, said retirement planning was one of their biggest successes as a couple. So to me, that's an odd thing. I wouldn't even. I, I, I don't know that I would put that in the top five. The, the, the successes as a couple is your relationship. It's the kids. It's the things you've done. That's actually what it should be, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. So 12% do the weekly summit, and, they, <laughs> and they're, let's see if they're on track. <laughs> But I guess they stay together. So define new goals. Uh, keep up those weekly talks about money, even when married for decades, because you need to regroup sometimes. Kids leave. You got more money. What, what are you going to do with it? You know, save it. You're going to change your lifestyle, whatever. And here's another tip. It makes sense. Over 55, revisit estate planning uh, because you're going to die. <laughs> you know what? Okay. Here's the story. Ex-girlfriend of mine owned... Um, a few different bar restaurants in uh, downtown San Diego, right? So I would frequent her establishment. And that's how you met her. And she through, was through the bar. Yeah, right. She was a very beautiful bartender. Yep. Right. And what would I, you know, she would serve a couple beers and I would leave and leave a giant tip. Right. Right. Hey, so you remember me. Yes. <clears throat> Next time. Oh, hey, Joe, what's going on? Right. Yeah. Boom. Another nice big fat tip. Right. So then we start dating, right? And then so we would go to another bar. And she's like, "What? You what can't you tip that much. What are you doing? <laughs> Jeez! Oh my God! Like, so you're supposed to change well, your behavior? Yeah. So okay. Well, all right. What do you want me to do? Right. Well, I have noticed. I've been to a bar with you, and the bartender starts pouring you a drink even before you walk in. It's like you're you're like it's like a cheers bar for you. Every bar you go into. Oh yeah, Joe. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, every single one. If you've made it through the five stages of your relationship and you're about to retire, there's a whole different set of tips for you. You may not have enough saved. You may not even have a retirement strategy. And chances are what you think you know about retirement is dead. In a stress test, do you think your portfolio and your retirement plan could stand up to record low interest rates, skyrocketing health care costs, market volatility, and increased longevity? Can you afford to live to be 90 or 100 years old? Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner. There's no cost or obligation to you, and you'll learn highly effective strategies to transform your savings and income in retirement, minimize your risk, reduce your taxes, and help your portfolio withstand today's challenges in a stress test. 
Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Hey, have you ever heard of the moneyologist, Alan? No. It's pretty awful, to be honest with you, but it's it's almost entertaining. Okay. It's like it's an article on people will write in. Oh, okay. And so I don't know how this caught my eye, but it did. My late mother disinherited me and my siblings on her deathbed. Can we sue? So mom's on her deathbed. Right. Right. And so the siblings go to mom on her deathbed and change the will. Okay. And so I'm not going to read this whole thing, but let me start with. Okay. So it starts out with my, my father didn't want his military and intelligence colleagues to know he married a divorcee with seven children. So they decided she should abandon her six children and start a new life. However, as they pulled out the driveway with all of her kids in tears, one of my half brothers ran after the car and they decided to take him with them. Oh, you kidding. That's how it starts? <laughs> this- <laughs> this is a soap opera? Uh, right? You know, I was told that my six half-brothers and sisters were cousins, not siblings. This was to ensure that if we talked to our neighbors, uh, we could tell them the correct story. Over the next several years, I, my mother, and my brother were terrorized by my father. Ah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's getting better. Fast forward to 1999, I decided to stop talking to my parents since they were toxic people. I told my mother if I was disinherited... There was no reason to reconcile. Needless to say, we never reconciled. My father died in 2013, I think, and my mother saw me at my grandmother's funeral in August of 2016. In November 2016, my mother went into the hospital, so I bought her flowers every week to cheer her up, sent stuffed animals, and called the room to tell her I loved her. She died in the hospital in New York in January of 2017. I sent her a beautiful and expensive wreath to her funeral because I really cared. And I want to be... I want to be part of the inheritance. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to reconcile, Mom. (laughs) Right on your deathbed. Come on, Mom. Thinking about you the whole time. Oh, I found out later that my mother signed a will in the hospital with two of my half-siblings and a lawyer. The will stated that the two half-siblings involved would split the estate worth over $600,000 minus $10,000 for one of my half-sisters, who selflessly cared for my mother in the hospital, and $5,000 apiece for my mother's three sisters. Ah. The will also stated... I also have six other children that are disinherited for reasons known to them. The will looked very amateur and even had typos in it, much to my surprise. (laughs) So everything is gone. The will is in probate. Can I sue my half-brothers or the estate? Any help will do. Thank you. So what advice do you give this guy? My advice is get a job. Move on. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, it's like, okay, well, let's talk. If you ever want to contest a will, all right, so there's, it's very, very difficult to do that, right? So you have to prove, all right, so what, what, what was going on on her deathbed, right? So you got these two half-brothers going to mom and saying, hey, we got this lawyer, sign everything over to us. Right. So, well, all right. And presumably, so three half-brothers or half-sisters, whatever, were, so they were already dis, disinherited. For reasons known to them. So I'm, I'm going to say this other individual had a reason that they got disinherited for reasons that he forgot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. 
You know, it's 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 very difficult. I guess you could. I mean, you know, you could sue for anything. You could. I mean, that's the world we live in as well. So, it's like, well, be, here I deserve this, but I. It, it'd be hard, but uh, typos doesn't invalidate the will. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you, I think I'm not an attorney, but I would think you'd have to prove that the mother was not of of sound mind right. at that time. Yep. I don't know how you do that because she's already deceased. She, yeah, she's deceased. Yeah. And who's the witnesses? Well, right. it was the two brothers yeah. that they forced said, her oh, into signing the will. She was totally sound she mind. Was, what are you talking about? She was great. <laughs> yeah. We chatted about old times. <laughs> oh. You know, I think the point of the story is, is that looking at your own estate and if you have family members or you know something out there that you feel that might contest your overall wishes what will happen is that it would just lock the thing up in courts for a long time so this guy if he wants to sue i mean he can it's in probate right so what's going to happen he's going to spend a lot of attorney fees but then the two individuals that maybe deserve the overall inheritance they want to get it through the probate process as soon as they can it's going to be just tied up in the court systems for even longer right. i mean the probate system is not necessarily lightning fast to no. begin with yeah and so it's going to take years potentially i mean who knows and then, all right, well, and at the end of the day, right, the, the, whoever contests it is probably not necessarily going to win because it's pretty difficult to prove anything. Right. So a living trust, right, there's clauses in the living trust that says, like, there's a no contest clause. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Right. So Big Al, he's in my trust, and I'm going to give him, you know, $10,000 at my demise. And then Big Al is going to be like, well, what are you talking about? We were partners. We were partners for 50, 50. T- oh, f- 20 years, 50, brother. 50 with your wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, no, I, 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 50, 50, yeah, I don't, 10 grand, this is BS. <laughs> so I will put in my trust is like if anyone contests the my wishes, they're automatically disinherited. Right. So then it's like, all right, well, then you don't have to necessarily worry. Like, oh, little Johnny, I know he wants more. He's broke. Right, he's on drugs. Yeah, right. He might do a little something stupid, but I'm only going to give him ten thousand. But if he can test it, well, then he doesn't get anything. He's out. Right, right. right. So um, that's well, why estate planning is is so important because you're not here anymore. Right. You want to make sure that you have these documents drafted so that your executor or successor trustees, you know, don't put them through that. It's just all there in writing. It's a legal document. All of your assets are then funded inside the overall trust. The trust owns those assets. You are the trustee. You can do whatever you want with them. But after you pass, the successor trustee takes over and then distributes the assets exactly in accordance to your wishes. So um, just a word to the wise. It might make sense to um, get that estate planning done. And Joe, when we've seen different studies, we know that more than 50% of the people don't have a will or a trust. Right. It's, I think, like 60%, give or take. So that means only 40% have kind of thought this out. If you die without a will, then what happens is your assets get distributed in accordance with state law. And state law is going to designate, all right, well, usually it would go, obviously, to the spouse first, and then maybe the kids, and maybe, you know, in equal shares. And then at some point, it goes to brothers and sisters, parents. I'm not sure. Every state has their own ordering rule. Right. It's dying in testate. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the the allocation, if you will, is may not be what you want. Right. Right. And that's that. Happen- I mean, maybe you've got one child you want to do something special to or you, you know, you love this brother, but not so much this one 
you know, but it doesn't matter. Right. It's uh, it's in accordance with state law. So you, at at the very least, you need a will. But the problem with a will is is at estates of certain dollar amount. I want to say what hundred fifty thousand. Give, yeah, give or take. Yeah, we're not million. we're not attorneys, but there's there's a level where if your assets are greater than that, then you can't just distribute it. It's got to go to court. That's what probate is. That's the pro- the purpose of probate. So if uh, that's why you have a trust, because then with a trust you don't have to go to court. It's already it's already a legal document. The trustee just distributes the assets in accordance with the trust itself. Right. Yeah. So uh, the, the, a will will not avoid probate. A lot of times, well, yeah, I have an estate plan. It's a will. Well, a will is fine. It's going to distribute the assets to where you want to go, but it has to go through the court process to distribute the assets, and that's the probate process, as you right. just mentioned. Right. And that's expensive. It's public record. It takes a long time. So if you want to avoid all of that, but I mean, who needs a trust is, yeah, someone with over $100,000, maybe you have a home. Um, but if all of your assets are in retirement accounts with the beneficiary designation or a TOD, a transfer of death, well, maybe you don't necessarily need a full-blown estate plan. But if you probably have you know, real property, if you have a brokerage account, if you have things like that, I think it makes most sense probably to spend a couple thousand bucks, sit down with a qualified estate planning attorney, and draft all this stuff up. It will you know, it'll pay off significantly long-term with heartache, headache, and a lot of you know, BS. Keeping family records current and centrally located is a challenge. Maybe not as challenging as the soap opera we just heard, but it's especially important when a family member dies or becomes disabled. Make sure you're ready before you need it. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free estate plan organizer. It's designed to help ensure that your assets and desires are carried out upon your departure. Find all the relevant information, fill out the forms completely, keep them up to date, and store them in a safe, easily accessible place for your heirs. To get your free estate plan organizer, just visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Uh, Oktoberfest, since we were talking about bars and beer, yeah. and it starts in Munich uh, today, as a matter of fact. For how long? I have no idea. Huh. I'm going to say a couple weeks, but I haven't... So Oktoberfest is in September, is what you're yeah, saying? it is. Or does it last all the way through October? I, I believe it does. I, I believe that's how it works. I have been to Hofbrauhaus in Munich. They suggest going to Munich, by the way. But if you can't go to Munich, this article that's uh, in CNBC. Oh, okay. Best cities to celebrate Oktoberfest outside of Munich. All right. So, and I'm not going to go through a list, but any guess what the number one city in the United States to celebrate Oktoberfest? New York City. Good, good guess. That's number two. Cincinnati. Really? Who would think that? Not me. No. I've never been to Cincinnati. I have. It's actually not bad. Cool city. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio. Midwest. Yeah, Midwest. Good values. I don't even know how far away is Cincinnati, like from Cleveland to Not Toledo. I'm, I, I mean, I, I have no idea. I'm gonna if I if you if I had to guess, I'd say a couple hours, but I could be way off. Could okay. be four or five. Yeah. Yeah. You want? Do you want more? Sure. Okay. Since we already started. <laughs> yeah. Since how many? How many do you got? Well, there's ten. If oh, you get geez. It. Let's just go five. <laughs> Cincinnati, New York. There's one on the on the west coast. Guess, well, San Francisco. You would think Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay. Yeah, they actually have a lot of microbreweries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Bend, thing. Oregon. Yeah, Bend would be good too. Yeah. Then Philadelphia, then Denver. I don't care for craft beer. I don't you care know, for I any of that. Yeah. It's you, like give me a Coors Light, Blue Mountain cold, <laughs> and I'm good. <laughs> Make sure it's blue. Yeah, the mountains blue, blue mountains. Right. Yeah, I went to Bend, Oregon, and it was so trendy with the craft beer here and the cra- and I was like, right. 
can I just get a Coors Light? Well, you have to develop a taste because I. And I, then they would look at me like I'm a. Like yeah. A, well, you're. Yeah, you, oh, you, you have, you're no sophistication. Yeah, yeah, I'm just a low life. I, I. So here's my, because I like Coors Light too, as you know, and my here's my thing is is that was basically all I drank for a long time. You know, you have an occasional uh, Dos Equis lager. It's not, you know, it's kind of similar. Corona, <laughs> occasionally a yeah. Dos Equis lager. Yes. What the heck are you talking about? But then, but then I started trying a few IPAs here and there. Now I have to say I, I like them. Yeah. Although they are more bitter, but there's a lot more flavor. And then you drink an IPA, and then you go back to the Coors Light, and it's like, oh, where's the, where's the flavor? Yeah, well, you can't. I, I could probably only drink two IPAs. Well, that's the point. Well, how about I like to socialize? <laughs> Two beers and whoa, hey, Uber home. Stupid. No, <laughs> it's, it's like six thirty. I've had two beers and I'm drunk. No, that's uh, that's not my. That's not a good time for me. I, I like to went, sip a couple cold Coors Lights, and you can have a. I, you know? I went to a brewery uh, last weekend called the Booze Brothers in Vista. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was kind of fun, and it, it was all IPAs, of course. And they put the 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 international bitter unit, so you can see how bitter it is. And they also put the alcohol content. And the guy that I went with said, "Oh, this one's really good." And so, but they serve it to you in a little glass because it's like really potent. <laughs> You got a I, shot of beer. I, I want the big boy glass. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't do that, sir. <laughs> Give me a pint. What are you talking about? The twenty-four ouncer. <laughs> Now they did give uh, my friend a pint because it was his birthday. Oh, so but I didn't get the pint. Well, I would have said, you know what? It is my birthday too. <laughs> it's going to be at some point. <laughs> did he check ID? No, that was a flawed system. <laughs> yes, because the the guy sitting on the stool right next to us, he goes, "Yeah, every day is my birthday." <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. He's got chains coming out of his pockets. <laughs> I, I don't get what the chain thing is. Well, that's motorcycle. That's cool. But what's the point of a chain? What do you mean chain pocket? Like like their wallet is hooked up to a chain to their belt? That thing? I guess. I, so. I or guess. is he a janitor? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Did he have ba- like ba- a, did he based, have a thousand keys on it? Based upon or was the chain connected to a wallet? Well, I don't know because it, w- it went inside his pocket. Huh. So I, my my take is based upon his tattoos and his outfit. He was a motorcycle yeah, see, rider. Not no, a that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, you, you get a wallet with a chain on it because you, you hang out with some rough people. They it. might try to pit pocket you, and it might, but you got it, the it, chain so they can't walk away it. with it. And it might and it might fly out when you're. See, you have like you know when you carry your briefcase around with that handcuff. <laughs> 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 yeah, I put the I got a fanny pack. I do it frontwards <laughs> yes. with a lock to my belt. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, that big lock you have on your fanny pack. <laughs> It's the same concept. Yeah, sometimes I can't find the key. I got a shower in. <laughs> oh my god! This show just went down the drain. There's not much content today. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, hey, that's it for us today. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. So to recap today's show, visit EquifaxSecurity2017.com to find out if you've been affected in the Equifax security breach and check out the Identity Theft webinar in the Learning Center at YourMoneyYourWealth.com to learn how to protect yourself from identity thieves. Early in a relationship, avoid TMI, but later in a relationship, be sure to talk about money regularly. And when you've been together for years, remember to revisit estate planning. And also, Joe and Big Al are both Coors Light guys. 
And a wallet chain? Yeah, it either means you're a biker or a janitor. Special thanks to our guest, Elaine Martin, from FidelityCharitable.org for telling us about donor-advised funds. Call Your Money, Your Wealth at 888-99-GOALS to find out how you can make tax-efficient charitable donations that go further, faster. That's 888-994-6257. Subscribe to the podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is all about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank you.